Well, you don't have any pages, so enjoy. And we're going to look at the first 17 verses, or at least I'll read through them and we'll see how far we, we get today in this chapter. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed and in a terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you have believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and began to wait on them. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Well, brothers and sisters, we have, following Jesus, we have come down off this, the Sermon on the Mount. We've come off the Mount, and we see the, the first words of this chapter marking out that that's where we are in the history of Jesus' earthly ministry. When he came down from the mountain. And we've been journeying through the Sermon on the Mount, where in a sense, uh, the king 
of kings, the king of God's kingdom, ascended to the mountaintop and did what all kings would do in those days. He started out his ministry or his rule by laying out his royal edicts. And Jesus' edicts were actually the word of God. And he, he took back from the, the hands of the teachers of those days and, and showed the difference between certain traditional understandings of God's word and things that were even added to it. And he, he showed the importance and the meaning of the law and a right application, not just to actions and practices, but down into the depths of our very hearts. Last week, in the closing of the Sermon on the Mount, we saw some very strong words from our Lord Jesus Christ. We see there in verse 21, for example, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. We saw in verse 21 of chapter 5, in verse 20 of chapter 5, that our righteousness must exceed the, the scribes and the Pharisees, the, those who held the word of God and were teaching it in this time, if we are to even enter the kingdom of God. These are very strong teachings. But there's, there's a sense in which you could say that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is displaying his sovereignty, his kingship, or his power through his teaching. He's showing his authority through his teaching. But here now Jesus comes down from the mountain and we see him starting to display his authority and his kingship through power in these different acts. And so I've entitled this sermon based on the 17 verses we just read, The Compassion, Power, and the Purpose of Jesus. So the first point, I have two points for us today. The first point is this. His compassion and power shown for the sick, the demon-possessed, and the true believers. Secondly, we see his purpose in verse 17 alone. We see his purpose throughout, but we get some verbal clarity on what his purpose is in those words in verse 17. This was to fulfill. And we see that throughout Matthew's gospel. Matthew is writing particularly to a Jewish audience. And so being a good scribe himself, being a good ex-tax collector, he was very careful with keeping family names and, and special numeric details and making sure that was in place. And one of the things that he continually wrote throughout each of Jesus' acts that he recorded were these words. This was to fulfill the word of God previously spoken. This is how Matthew is teaching us in a sense. This is how God is showing us the connection between Old Testament and New Testament. Or Old Covenant and New Covenant. Sometimes we, we find a lot of challenges surrounding that topic between the Old and the New Covenant. Really it was multiple covenants before. But we summarize those Old Covenants by saying Old Covenant or Old Testament and New Testament. So let's look at this first point. We're going to look at a few different things in the first 16 verses. How do we see Jesus' compassion and power? Firstly, in the leper. 
Look with me again at verses 1 through 4. When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. Remember now, his disciples were up there. First were the ones who were called. He was teaching them. And these crowds were listening in and began to follow him. And so these crowds are following him along with his disciples. And in the midst of this, we see something happen that would have caused shock. Verse 2, a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Notice he didn't say, if you have the ability, if you know the right medic, if you know the right doctor. He said, if you are simply willing, I believe that you can make me clean. That is a marvelous faith. He hasn't met Jesus. He hasn't read anything about Jesus. He would have simply heard the oral teachings of Jesus pass down the way. What is a leper? I say pass down the way because a leper did not have rights to live within the regular day-to-day life of the covenant people. If you go back to Leviticus, for example, and you read Leviticus 13 and 14, there is a long list of what we call leprosy. In fact, there is still leprosy in our world today. Now, leprosy, which some people refer to as Hansen's disease, I don't know if you've heard of that. It's usually thought of primarily as a skin disease. But the reference to leprosy in the Old Testament included what we have seen in something like Hansen's disease, but it it also included more. In fact, I would encourage you, when you get home later, if you feel like doing this, it'll be helpful to, to get a good sense of what was going on in this text, in this moment of history. To look up leprosy. Look at some of the pictures. Listen to the descriptions. But go and read Leviticus 13 and 14. See, the problem with leprosy in this day was that there was no cure. This could stay with you for your whole life. And this wasn't just a skin disease. This actually affected, at some point, very often it affected neurological issues, nerve issues. Leprosy became so bad that people who had it couldn't feel pain. In fact, I was, I was looking up this in, in general. I was looking up this and I saw, I saw something that answers in Genesis. Remember what we used for VVS this year? Um, that same ministry wrote a short article on leprosy. And this is what one of the doctors said. Studying leprosy helps us to see why pain is a valuable gift. A survival mechanism to warn us of danger in this cursed world. Why is it a gift? Because if you're a leper or have a similar disease and you can't feel that your toe has just been cut off, for example, you can bleed out and you won't even know it. God has given us these neurological senses, these, these, these um, nerve senses to feel pain for good reason. And lepers had to live a life of suffering Without that, 
Leprosy would have also caused the person to feel ostracized. Perhaps you caught COVID if you haven't yet. I hope you don't, but you probably will. And there's no need to be afraid. Okay. There are people who are dying, but at some point our bodies are going to probably get kind of used to COVID. Unlike COVID, people know a lot, and even in this day, knew a lot about leprosy. There wasn't different groups of people saying, well, we think this is leprosy and this is the cure. No, 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 this, it wasn't like that. Unlike COVID, there was clarity on the only way to deal with leprosy. Do you know what that was? Complete isolation. Complete isolation. If you think being locked down was hard, or spending two weeks in our potentially comfortable homes and yards was hard, imagine being completely removed from society with sores that were causing you inflammation and swelling and itching and pain and not being able to touch your family, not being able to get close to your family, and having to wear bells so that people could hear when you're walking by, so that they could go on the other side of the road while you shout, unclean, unclean. This is what the life of a leper was. It was like COVID times 10 with no cure or potential vaccine. Leprosy was a serious disease. And the mere fact that this leper was willing to walk into the crowd, to the front of the crowd, to get close to Jesus and kneel down, shows us how much he believed in Jesus' ability. He was just tugging at the willingness of his heart. In fact, this translation does not thoroughly catch the sense of what was happening. A more literal rendering of what took place in verse 2 would be this, and he knelt down and worshipped him. You see, people might debate this word Lord that he used. Well, you know, sometimes Lord was used for respect, so maybe he wasn't using the title of God. And Okay, that can be debated. But to kneel down before someone, that happened over and over throughout the Bible, and when people did that even to angels... The angel said, whoa, whoa, don't kneel down before me. You do that before God. But this is actually the first time, as far as I can tell, in this gospel, where we see a person bowing down in worship before Jesus Christ. And who was it? A leper, an outcast, not even one of his disciples Of course, we saw the wise men coming. But this is the first time in his public adult ministry that we see someone acting like this, bowing down in worship and with the kind of faith that we need to have. And notice what happens here. One of the other things that that was true of leprosy is this. If you touch a leper, it is so infectious that even if you didn't catch it, which was almost impossible, but even if you didn't, you would have to become an outcast until you could prove 
a long while later to the priests that you didn't have leprosy. And before you proved it to them, you would have to shave all kinds of hair off your face and your head and do all sorts of other washings. Again, if you look at Leviticus 13 and 14, you'll see this. And become extremely uncomfortable with yourself. They didn't have mirrors back then, but you wouldn't be feeling good looking in the mirror after you're finished. Then you'd have to go and present yourself to the priest before you can just come and live with your family again because it's such a deadly and infectious disease. But notice the power of Christ here and the compassion. We see his compassion in the sense that he begins his ministry with something that his disciples might have been thinking he shouldn't do. They were probably thinking, don't touch him. This is the beginning of your ministry and you're about to mess it all up. Because if you touch this leper, Jesus, you'll have to go and be isolated. Jesus, wait. Maybe they were thinking that. We have no account of them seeing it. Maybe the crowds were watching. What's about to happen? And notice Jesus' compassion here. He doesn't bat an eyelid. He doesn't ask any questions. He doesn't look down on the leper and say, Ugh, you look pretty messed up. I'm not sure I want to touch you. He sees the man's faith and adoration of him. And as that old song says, He touched me and made me whole. Just a touch. Just a touch. We see the compassion of Christ and the power of Christ because He did not catch the leprosy. And people were so astonished as they saw the reality of this that no one even thought of suggesting that he would maybe need to think about being isolated. No one said a word because they were enamored with his power and his compassion. His first act after coming down off the mount is touching the untouchable. Are there people in our lives that we think of as untouchable? Are there people in our communities that we think of as untouchable, as unlovable, as uncleansable, maybe not in a physical sense, perhaps in a spiritual sense? Maybe we read Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to those who believe, but quietly in the back of our minds we think, that, but not to those people over there. Is that the level of faith that we have? If so, God help us. Look at Jesus here. Look at his compassion. The word says, Behold, a leper came in most of the translations. It's as if to say for, for Matthew's readers, you won't believe what's about to happen. And Jesus touches him. And then notice what he goes on to say. I am willing. Be clean. Immediately. After touching him. He's cured of his leprosy. And Jesus says, See that you don't tell anyone. But go and show yourself to the priest. And offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. In those same passages, Leviticus 13 and 14, God also gives the instruction 
If you have become clean of your leprosy as, as a final step, there are a whole bunch of steps, but the final one, once you're truly clean, is that you offer thanksgiving offerings of two types of birds. One is to be set free. One is to be slaughtered. The blood sprinkled. And then you're welcome to become part of the community again. But Jesus says, don't go and boast about my work here. See, for, for the first portion of Jesus' ministry, he actually tells people like this, wait, don't say anything about this work yet. Because I don't, essentially, he doesn't want people just to follow him so that they can have miraculous things done and then go about their business. A lot of people, they don't want Jesus. They just want things that he can do for them. And I spoke about being aware and being wary of false teachers. Well, a lot of false teachers posing as biblical teachers are teaching people that they can treat God like a divine ATM. If you have enough faith, you can move mountains. So go get your Mercedes-Benz. Speak it into existence. Wolves in sheep's clothing. Even people you could call faith healers. You just got to have the right amount of faith and you'll be healed. No. No. Unfortunately, it's not the amount of faith we have, but it is the one who our faith is in. And here is what the leper wants to teach us about this. If you are willing. That is the attitude that we should approach praying to God for sickness and healing with. We do not demand, we do not decree, and it is not based on anything in us that healing comes. So when he tells this healed leper to go and present this gift, Jesus is showing him to submit himself to the law, this old covenant law that was still in place until Jesus brought it to close. He's saying, go and show yourself to the priest. You just jumped over all the other steps and come straight to the end and I've healed you. You can go back into your family's home. You can go back into community life. You can stop living in isolation. This supersedes anything any doctor can offer us today. Amen. And this, it doesn't, now don't hear me wrong. This doesn't mean God's gift to us are not also doctors and that we shouldn't use those things. But our faith must be in the one who holds life in his hands. Amen. And then we see the centurion. What is a centurion? A centurion is essentially a Roman guard who had a hundred soldiers. This was a man who had a position of great power and authority. And in fact, if you want to see um, the, the same event, which was recorded in Luke, you can go to Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. And it might sound a little bit confusing, but if you, you read both of them side by side and you think about the words, this will make sense. It might not appear this way when we read Matthew's account. But notice the words here in verse 8. I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. You see, some of the the Jewish traditions that had been put in place in this day included the fact that non-Jews were made to feel 
like they were unworthy to even do life with Jews. And, and, and Jews said that they became ceremonially unclean by just interacting. And there were cases where God himself had instituted things that, that amounted to that, but never so that they could have an attitude of pride towards the non-Jews. But look at the, the humility of the centurion. He has heard about Jewish law, and he acknowledges this tradition. And the account in Luke 7, verses 1 through 7, actually tells us that he sent Jewish leaders to speak on his behalf. So when he talks about being a person of authority, he understands how it works. See, he sent these people to speak as if he himself was speaking. So when Matthew here makes it seem like perhaps it's just Jesus and this man, it's actually Jesus speaking to his Jewish leaders on behalf of him. And so Jesus tells this man through them that his servant is healed. Why? Because of the man's faith. This is another example where we can actually learn something about prayer. Maybe someone we're praying for is not a believer. Maybe we want them to become a believer. Maybe we want them to be physically healed. God hears the prayers of His people. And if He is willing, He can heal people on behalf of our asking Him in faith. Not because of our righteousness or our amount of faith, but because sometimes He is willing to show His power and His compassion in that way. But what was amazing is what Jesus shows us about this transaction. Jesus goes on in verse 10 and He says, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. He's saying to those following him and to the Jewish leaders who had come on behalf of this centurion, just being a Jew clearly means that you don't have true faith. In fact, there are people who are not Jews who are, who are starting to listen to Jesus' teachings and even at the end of time, as we learned last week, they will say, Lord, Lord, and use that term of endearment and honor falsely. But this centurion has true faith. And this was, in a sense, a rebuke to everyone listening and to the whole nation of Israel. He says, in this one man who, who was not even worthy in his mind to come to me, and so he, in respect, sent these people to speak on his behalf. I haven't even seen faith in the entire nation like this. The word that you can use to describe the nation at this time is apostate. Be careful how much stock you put into studying what's happening in Israel right now. I see a lot of people doing this. You know what's more important than trying to figure out the signs of what's happening in the nation of Israel? Making sure that you are true Israel in your heart. 
making sure that you are in the Word and that the Word is truly in you and that you are one in Christ Jesus. Paul himself, one of the greatest Pharisees we can ever learn from, says that true Israelites are not those who are just circumcised in flesh, but those who have been born again, who have been circumcised in the heart. That is what it means to be a Christian. To have repented and approached Jesus in genuine, saving faith. But here again, we see Jesus pausing for a leper at the beginning of his ministry. Taking what would seem like a great risk. We see Jesus speaking and and doing works for a non-Jew. And all of the Jewish followers would have been thinking, What are you doing? This is an inconvenience. And so again here we see one of these attributes of God, that God is love. We see the compassion of God overcoming convenience. Sometimes we don't want to be compassionate to people who are untouchable. Sometimes we don't want to make time for people who are not one of us, so to speak. And we have to allow, as Jesus did, The compassion of God's heart to supersede our convenience. Convenience can be a killer to being faithful. And again, I I pray to God for myself and for all of us that the Holy Spirit is bringing to mind people and situations that we can apply these truths to. But we see something else important. In these verses, this is the first time that Jesus teaches on another subject that false teachers don't like to talk about. Hell. Look with me again at verses 11 through 12. (coughs) Look at those words. I say to you, that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom and heaven. What he was saying is, listen, there are people who are not part of Israel. There are Gentiles. There are non-Jews. There are people who have not heard anything of the word of God who are going to be sitting at this feast of the marriage supper of the Lamb that Revelation talks about. Feasting at the kingdom supper with Abraham and with Isaac and Jacob and with those who along with them are are believing in this true God which attaches himself covenantally to those names. There are people throughout this world from every tribe and and tongue and, and language who will be seated at this table. And you think it is only yourselves, he says. He goes on in verse 12. But the subjects of the kingdom, which is a a phrase that was used to describe Jews, right? So he's saying, people like you who don't have the centurion's faith, the subjects of the kingdom themselves will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me read another translation. While the sons of the kingdom, 
that's what they call themselves, will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That weeping and gnashing has a twofold element to it. The first is that weeping has to do with people weeping in regret and despair that they wasted their life not turning to Jesus Christ, to this King of kings and Lord of lords. The gnashing has to do with, well, you ever been upset about something? What's one of the things you do when you're really angry about something but you don't want to show it? You gnash your teeth. You grind your teeth. That's what he's talking about. There will be people in hell who are angry because he sent them to hell. Because they think so highly of themselves. I was a good citizen. I always wore my seatbelt. I didn't speed. I fed people at Christmas and Easter. And, you know, some of them were even in the Lord, Lord camp. They came to church on Sunday. They did all the other things that they were supposed to do. They didn't even swear. They were even good husbands and wives. And they will be gnashing their teeth. Don't you know my righteousness, God? Don't you know I don't deserve to be here? And God will simply have spoken His word already. Did you not know that you have sinned and fall short of my glory? That my righteousness rests in my only Son? Ah, and He says, in the beginning of His ministry, there's a place that we refer to sometimes as hell. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Think about this. Sometimes when we talk about doing ministry, it's almost like that there's a, there's, we start strategizing like there's a bait and switch, right? Well, well, don't talk about hell yet. Wait until there's enough people falling. Because if you talk about hell, some people are just going to leave. No, no one wants to hear about hell. In fact, you know, there's one of the most successful ministries. It's not successful. But this is how people think. People look at people like Joel Olstein as successful. Because when he sits down and interviews, you know what he says to the camera? I don't talk about hell. I don't talk about sin. And when he's asked if Jesus is the only way to salvation. Do you know what he says? Well, you know, I no, I don't judge. I'm not God. You know, I, I, I. What he should say is, I am a false teacher. But he's not going to say that. He uses the Bible. He picks up his Bible sometimes and he says a few things and some of the stuff he says is actually true. That's how the devil works. He gives you a few little nuggets of truth. And then he puts down the Bible. And he does like this. And he gets you all excited. And most times you listen to people like this. And you walk away and you say, you know what? But it makes me feel really good. It doesn't tell me that there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For me. And for those I love. 
if I don't follow this one person as my Lord, as the one who gives me the dictation for how I'm supposed to live my life, for how I should deal with my parents, for how I should deal with my children, for how I should love my spouse, for how I should deal with my singleness, for how I should, you name it. Because we don't love having a king. We want to be our own kings. We want to be our own queens. We want to be our own Lord. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. When we cast God's word aside, gave into that temptation, that lie. Oh God, no, you're not going to die, Satan said. The, the tempter said. You're not going to die. He just knows you're going to be a little bit more like him. Just like him even. Oh, Adam and Eve, that sounds great. Yeah, that makes me feel good. They doubted the, the, the trustworthiness of the Word of God, the faithfulness of the Word of God, the sufficiency of the Word of God. And they started to trust in their own sufficiency and in the words of Satan, in his sufficiency. And they chose a Lord. And it wasn't Jesus Christ. It wasn't God. It was Satan. He is the Lord of those who reject Jesus Christ of their, as their Lord and Savior. And one of the things that we see here is compassion and power under self-control being manifested in, in, in the, the most sort of out of sight ways very often. He wasn't trying to go back up on a mountain and, and do anything after this. He came down and he got to business and this is the first thing he does. He touches a leper. He declares that the faith of this centurion was real faith in God. And then he comes to Peter's mother's house and she has a fever. He heals her and look at her response. Does she treat God like a divine ATM? Thank God that he healed me. And then next week, have you seen Peter's mother anywhere? Mother-in-law anywhere? No, I haven't seen her for two months. But she said God healed her. Yeah, I know. Nobody knows where she is. Now look at her attitude. As soon as he touched her hand and the fever left her, she got up and began to serve him. That is the attitude of a person who has received any sort of genuine salvation or blessing from God. And, and hear me well now, when I use the word salvation, Jesus is actually showing us a picture of greater things to come in these healings. Salvation is not primarily physical in this life. But it includes complete physical healing in the life to come. It includes a complete and whole body, mind and soul in the new world. That's why verse 17 was quoted there in terms of his purpose. Finally, we see Jesus casting out demons. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed the sick. I want you to notice that there's a distinction being made between the way he deals with spiritual beings called demons who are fallen angels. Okay, According to the word, 
there's two kinds of angels. There's those who are fallen, and we can classify them as demons. That's what a demon is. Right? I know Halloween's coming up. <laughs> Not going to say anything else. Different thoughts on that whole thing. But truth is important, especially as believers. A demon is a created being known as an angel that has fallen from their original purpose, which is to serve and glorify God by serving those who are made in His image. Did you know that angels were made to serve us as ministering spirits? And Satan, as we see in Genesis 3, has completely corrupted that because knowing that he has made at some unknown point his decision to rebel and been cast down, all he wants to do now is bring the world down with him. That is what Satan and his little minions are doing. And don't disregard my, my use of that word little. We are not more powerful than angels. Good or bad ones. God is, we are not. We should not think we have any protection from the demonic powers at work. If we are outside of Christ. But if we are in Him by faith, well, we are perfectly secure we have the the victorious angels who are continuing to work out God's purposes and we don't fully understand this this is very mysterious ground that we're we're treading on in, in looking at this and we will look more at demons and angels as the gospel of Matthew unfolds because even though he doesn't go into much detail here he will later but the main thing I want you to see is this he separates sickness from demonic work. Please, um, don't get confused. If, you're, if you have someone that is experiencing mental challenges or physical challenges in life, you're not, you're not facing a person that is dealing with this same issue of demonic possession. You're facing one of the implications, the repercussions of sin on our physical decay. We all are decaying because of sin. Jesus here says he is driving out. He, he drove out beings that were in these people. That's what these demons were doing. They were tormenting their lives. We don't know anything about the, the individuals themselves, but whoever brought them was trusting Jesus like the leper, like the centurion. <laughs> if you're willing, please take these demons and cast them out. And the demons understood the authority of Christ. We see time and time again when the demons cry out, What do you want with us? We know who you are, Son of God, or Holy One. Don't send us away yet. Once he sent a whole legion into a herd of pigs, they ran off a cliff. And the people were so scared, they said, please get out of here. We can't handle this kind of power instead of turning to Him in faith. Demons are real. But they're not, they're not AIDS. They're not cancer. They're beings. They're not impersonal forces. 
They're very personal creatures that are immaterial, that cannot be touched. Like God, who is immaterial, except not like God, who is uncreated and sovereign over those demons. So we don't have to fear demonic forces. But when we think about the challenges that perhaps some people were thinking about this morning as we look through this passage, when we think about challenges like addiction, you, you do not pray a spirit of addiction away. There is no such thing. An addiction is based on a number of factors. And I'm not a professional psychologist or um, medical practitioner. But at the root of substance abuse, for example, is a person trying to get something out of that chemical, that substance, that they cannot get, that leads to an addiction. At the root of addiction, of any sort, maybe you know of someone, maybe you're hearing my voice this morning or seeing me on Facebook, maybe you're going to hear this on the radio, maybe you have an addiction to looking at porn. That is actually statistically one of the most deadly addictions that exists today. And sadly, many, many, many professing Christians, in particular middle to older age men, are confessing that they struggle with this. And one of the things that we need to understand, it is a decision that you're trying to get something out of that act and that activity and that vision that you cannot get, that you were only designed to find in the beauty of holy matrimony, of a covenant marriage. And there are things that even if you, even if it doesn't go beyond your mind, that will take years and may never be removed from our minds. Please take addiction seriously, but it's not a spirit. At the root, we need to come face to face with our personal responsibility and recognize the, the problems of these decisions. Some people seek to, to deal with their problems through alcohol or ganja. We call marijuana here sometimes. Or cocaine. These are personal problems that do not primarily rest on the example set by parents, though that can factor in, that do not primarily rest on societal factors that somehow made a person just have to do these things, that can play into it. But primarily, it's a rebellion in the heart that says, I am going to look for the kind of satisfaction and fulfillment that God designed me to only find in Him in this thing by escaping until tomorrow morning when you wake up. And not only are you facing reality with pro probably a hangover or something, but you are further enslaved to that sinful decision. The Bible teaches that sin has enslaved us. What is Jesus showing us here? Having shown his power through teaching, he is showing 
As one Christmas hymn puts it, No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings known far as the curse is found to overthrow demons and sickness and being an outcast to completely undo the works of Satan for all who will look to him. This is showing us a a Lord and Savior who is filled with grace and truth, with compassion and power. He's mighty to save. And the way we overcome some of those problems and more that I'm talking about starts with a new heart. The question is always this, not are we here this morning, but are we in Him this morning? Not can we recite the Bible back to front, but have we been born again, which will lead to a hunger to know Him through His Word more. And will gradually, believe it or not, and you're listening to someone who's a recipient of this, that will gradually set us free from the desires that entrap us. Because that's where it begins. Our desires enslave us in the wrong direction. But the truth can set us free. And we see in verse 17 that this was his purpose in coming. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. In fact, turn with me to Isaiah in closing. And this comes in particular from Isaiah 53, verse 4. Isaiah chapter 53. This is entitled in almost every translation, The Suffering Servant. This is what the prophet Isaiah says in this prophecy of the coming person and work of Christ. Who has believed our message? Verse 1. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground he was he had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him nor appearance that we should be attracted to him he was despised and forsaken of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and like one from whom men hide their face he was despised and we did not esteem him surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken smitten of God and afflicted meaning when people saw Christ ultimately on the cross they, 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 they judged that situation and said obviously God is judging him we thought God had despised him And afflicted him for something in himself. But listen to what the prophet tells us next. In verse 5. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging 
we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. You see on the cross when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was not feeling the weight of all the, the, the sicknesses that could have possibly been cast on him all at once. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when he cried out, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He was not talking about a cup that contained actual sickness and sadness and depression even though that's the result of sin no he was actually talking about the root problem that brought all of this in he was pierced for our transgressions crushed the word there literally is talking about what it would take to pound something into powder being pressed down that's how Jesus felt the forsakenness that was happening a chastening, scourging, was not even just the thorns. It was the weight of that weeping, that gnashing of teeth that he was referring to for a multitude of people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Indeed, for all who look to him, what we are looking to him for is the reality that Christ bore hell itself on Calvary's cross. This is what he is coming to do. But the, the vision and the hope he's showing us in these acts of healing and casting out demons is showing the end result of his cross work. He's showing us that if we look to him in his own righteousness that he achieved through his living and dying and rising again, if we place our confidence in Him alone, we will be made new and we will overcome gradually, not perfectly, but gradually we will overcome the sins that were once entrapping us in this life. We will be set free from the penalty of sin. We don't have to fear standing before God at the moment we shut our eyes in, in death because he has risen. Amen? He has overcome sin, the penalty. And He has overcome sin, the power. And He has overcome sin, Satan and death, the very presence in the new heaven and earth that He will bring. As surely as He came, lived, did these things, and went to Calvary's cross. We can look to him today. As the one who will come again. At an unknown moment. To bring us. Into this new world. And again. Don't spend so much time getting caught up. On what the new world order is. Because there's a new new world order. That's going to destroy every order. Of this current world. Amen. When they see the Son of Man. Coming in the clouds. 
Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So let us bow the knee to him now. And let's pray and continue to worship him today for all that he has done in spirit and in truth.